thinking for a moment about any family customs or practices that you might have in your family. Okay? Are the things you regularly do, are the places that you go to, what kind of practices and customs have you got? And I'd like you just to have a quick chat to the person next to you and just tell them about any family customs or practices that traditions that run in your family. Okay, hopefully you've come up with some. Does anybody want to stick their hand in the air and volunteer anything? Anybody want to say? Yeah? Come on then, Hazel. Um, every every uh, Christmas, just before Christmas, um, we go to Stratford for the day. And um, I started that. I started going by myself. Yeah. And every year there's a more of the family coming. So family outings to Stratford just before Christmas. Anybody else? Any any things you you do? Rachel, <laughs> seeing as no one's saying anything, like she's in the front row, she's kind of a fairly obvious target. Thanks, uh, Charles and I. Our custom in our families are we go to church. You go to church, and we go every Sunday, and we serve in church, and we're in church. Very spiritual. Ours includes eating lots of sticky toffee pudding in our family, not quite a spiritual. Anybody else want to run up? No, no. Oh, yeah. Coming over here, Joe. We've got into the routine of, on Christmas Eve, having like a joint of ham and Christmas ham. So whatever time of year it is, Eva's like, it's Christmas ham. <laughs> oh, Paul. Sorry, Paul. You've just been volunteered by Jane, mate. Oh. Um. We just like to get that get together every week uh, on Sunday and you know as a family. Yeah. Brilliant. As a as a child, every single year, I remember we went on holiday to Polzeth. I know the Fosters like Polzeth. We went every single year. Bearing in mind, I used to live in um, Surrey. Um, we always left at about five o'clock in the morning. And in those days, we didn't have such a big car. And you know, surfboards. When I mean surfboards, I mean the old. You know, wooden ones. You used to, they used to get rammed down the side of the car. So the only way in and out of the car was like stepping like this to get into the car. So you'd manage to get in the car somehow. And then it was quite a long way. And we always stopped at Stonehenge for breakfast. Parked in the same lay-by. My mother had a tablecloth she put on the car bonnet. What's that about? I don't know. But we had a tablecloth on the car bonnet. And out would come the cornflakes and, um, you know, the sandwiches. And we always had breakfast at Stonehenge. Then you'd all climb back over the surfboards, obviously take the dog for a wee down the lane. That was important. 
And um, on you went. It was a bit like an Ina Blyton book, I think. And we've continued having regular family holidays in Polseth. And Mark and Josh and James have all been indoctrinated. And that's one of our family traditions that we tend to do. Now then, can you turn to Luke chapter 2? You might think, what's climbing over surfboards going to Polseth got to do with anything in the Bible? Actually, we're going to just spend a little while this morning looking at Luke chapter 2. The boy Jesus at the temple. It was a Jewish family custom and tradition. And we're going to use that in the context of journeying. Luke 2, verses 41. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to their custom. So every year, they journeyed to the temple. It was kind of an annual pilgrimage. Some of you guys I know go to Christian celebrations, maybe to spring harvest or conferences. I prefer going on retreats on my own because I'm just kind of like that. Um, but it's good, isn't it, to have an annual custom where you spend time with God. So every year they went faithfully, steadily, consistently, unremarkably, going about their everyday lives. Now the backdrop to this is that in the past 12 years... Jesus had spent with his family at Nazareth just growing. He was a humble apprentice with a servant's trade, learning from his dad. Now, Jesus spent, and I find this really interesting, he spent 30 years of his life hidden, silent, and only public and active for three years. The majority of his life was spent quietly, Growing in God, full of love, not engaging in human falseness or artificiality or appearances. Now, I would think, as a child, it must have been, at times, so tempting to show his power. Don't you think? Any of you watched the Harry Potter film, the first Harry Potter film, where Harry Potter learns that he's got special powers. Do you remember the snake at the zoo incident where he's bullied by Dudley and he speaks to the snake and the snake comes out? Man, you know, if Jesus as a child was being bullied or pushed around by people, don't you think he'd have been tempted just to go and use his powers? I would have been, but he didn't. He just carried on normally every day. His life was a silence, acts of service, humility, Learning, intimate conversations, and simple encounters with his father. As a carpenter, he was still God's co-worker. And through his job, his hard work, probably at times his insecurity, his service to his neighbour, he was making a contribution to the world. Doesn't seem much, does it, we might reflect, especially as we know who he is, and the gifts that he has in him. And yet, he was carrying on his daily life where God had placed him. He did his job to the best of his ability, transforming it with his redemptive vision. And you know, like Jesus, our Nazareth is life. Today, we may have run-of-the-mill, ordinary lives, but at the same time, Whilst we're ordinary people, we're also a special people. 
1 Peter says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you know, from that, our hearts cry, don't they? And I, th- I thought it was great that we prayed this morning about second chances. Because from that, my heart just says, God, I want to love you and praise you. I want to serve you in my ordinary everyday life where you have placed me. You created us to love you with all our hearts, minds and strengths. Help us to order our lives around this. Thank you for choosing us. May our lives where you have placed us be a declaration of your praises. It's a journey, isn't it? Life's a journey. It doesn't happen in two minutes. Back to Luke, verses 43 to 45. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Every parent's nightmare. On their journey, they have lost their child. Now, be honest, as a parent or grandparent, how many of you have at times lost your children? Yeah, I think that's most of us. (laughs) How careless you all are. Man, the first time, we've lost ours on several occasions, the first time we lost Joshua, he was about, I think he was about four, and James was probably about two, and we were at the beach in Woolacombe with my parents. And another family tradition, if ever you used to go on holiday with my parents, my dad would always buy the ice creams. Result. And my dad had turned and said to Josh and all of us generally, you know, would you like an ice cream? He goes, oh, yes, Grandpa. And we just kind of carried on, didn't think anything about it. Then I looked round, and he wasn't there. It was a busy beach at Woolacombe, rammed with people, and Josh had gone. I thought, oh, no. So we started looking here and there. I couldn't find him. I suddenly thought, I wonder, I wonder if he's gone to the ice cream van. Went to the ice cream van, and he wasn't there. He'd actually gone to the ice cream van at the far side of the beach, and we finally found him patiently waiting in the queue on his own, waiting for the ice cream that Grandpa promised him. So it was like, okay, this is not good. At least we had a vague idea of where he was going. But at first, we didn't realise he'd gone. Then we did, and then we were really panicking. We lost James, or we didn't lose James. It was even better. The after-school club managed to lose James. She phoned me up at about half past four, and I was at work. She said, um, Jenny said, we've lost James. I go, well, yeah. Well, what do you mean you lost him? She goes, I just, I just don't know what to say. She says, we went to school to get him, and we came back to the after-school club, and he wasn't with us. So we've been back to the after-school club. We've walked all the way back up the hill, and we've walked all the way back down, and he's still not there. And she was in a real state. And being a really good parent, I said, oh, don't worry. He'll turn up. You know, he's quite independent. And she goes, oh, she says, I'm so glad it's you. She said, I thought parents would be freaking on the ceiling like we've lost their son. I go, it'd be fine. And so about 10 minutes later, she phoned back. He's, he's come. He's arrived back at after school club. He'd, he'd forgotten which day of the week it was. He trolled home with one of his friends. It was only when he got to his friend's house that his friend's mother said, James, aren't you meant to be at after school club today? 
He goes, oh, yeah. So he'd walked himself to after-school club. He wasn't bothered at all. And this poor woman was frantic. I think it's bad enough losing your own child, losing somebody else's, what you're meant to be looking after. We, we, you know, we ended up, this is how ridiculous it was, Mark and I bought her flowers and chocolates because she was so upset. We're going, we're really sorry that our son wandered off, but, you know, don't worry about it. It's all right. Um, so Mary and Joseph realised that Jesus wasn't with them. And depending on the kind of parents they were, no, we were, we were kind of not bothered on that occasion, but we were on the previous occasions. And they were really, really frantic and searching that kind of, in your stomach, I feel sick, I've lost them. Which led me to think, just like Mary and Joseph, have we as individuals, and maybe sometimes together, have we sometimes lost Jesus? Have we just taken it for granted that he's with us and carried on our life's journey as normal, which is what they did. They stayed behind, they didn't know, and they carried on for quite a while. Personally, I have to say as an individual, yes, I think there are times when I have kind of lost Jesus. It hasn't been intentional. And it's maybe been that he hasn't been my priority. Tim talked about this. So's Joe and Rose and Becky Prophet a couple of Sundays ago. Asked if we'd lost that deep pit in our stomach, wrenching feeling of love for God. Do you remember that? When as a courting we were at House of the Open Door, we were challenged by the Holy Spirit to pursue God. What does it mean to pursue somebody? Read the Song of Songs. That's about pursuing somebody who you love. That's about really pursuing somebody. My husband, 28 years ago, used to really pursue me. He's lost it a bit. But 28 years ago, he could remember how to do it. And I watch my sons who were at university. They seem to know how to pursue women. They, 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 you know, they've still have that in mind. But I believe that God's calling us into a season where we pursue him. You know, men, how many of you pursued your wives? Come on, honestly. Come on, anybody? Oh, no, most of you did. In the age of equality, women, how many of you pursued your husbands? Charles thinks that's very funny. I'll have a word with Chiddy later. <laughs> but in our lives, we can quite easily, can't we, get knocked off course by everyday circumstances and distractions. And sometimes it just takes natural events to make us realise that maybe we've lost Jesus. It isn't deliberate. It isn't anything we set out to do. But what do you do when you realise you go back and you search and you find. Ephesians 1 says, We are a chosen people journeying with God according to his plans, with God who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Having believed, we are marked with a seal, the Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We need to pray that the Father will give us the spirit of revelation so we may know him better. Pray that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened so we may know the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That's, that's something, isn't it? We had a prophetic picture a few weeks ago and we had some um, external guys come and input into the call team and it was a picture of Cinderella. You know, well, that's not very spiritual. I've 
I'm sure the kids think about things like that all the time. But it was this picture of Cinderella, and it really, it struck me very hard. Said he had a, The guy had a picture, he says, you feel like Cinderella, dressed in rags. You have come from nothing. Then you've been to the ball, and you've danced with the prince. You've experienced it, you've known his presence, you've seen it, you've tasted it, it's been great. And then... Bang, the gong strikes and it's midnight. And poof, it's all gone up in smoke. You are back to rags, back to the start, feeling lost and wondering what on earth's going on. But just like in the Cinderella story, the prince pursues and he searches until he finds. God is pursuing us, each one of us. He's searching us out. He won't give up until he finds us, until we rediscover him, and we're together again, restored in him and all that he has. So if you can imagine... Mary and Joseph searching for three, three days. We were searching for about 15 minutes for Josh on the beach. Three days they were searching for him. The anguish, the guilt, the tiredness, the remorse for what they probably thought was their negligence. And then carrying on in the story, verse 46. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. When they found him, they were overcome. Mary, like any relieved parent, gently asks Jesus why he did this to them. You knew we'd be anxious and looking for you. Jesus gently reproaches her. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. They all went back to Nazareth. Life carried on, and Mary treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus was saying, you should have known where I was. You should have trusted, believed, and had confidence in me. Kind of implying, have you forgotten? Have you forgotten how I was born? Have you forgotten the angels, the visits from God, the shepherds, the wise men, the promises, now, my imagination runs riot when I imagine Mary and Joseph waiting for Jesus to be born. Okay? We all think, don't we, when you're having a child, I wonder what they'll look like. You know, we've got Rhiannon and Brian sat with us with their new granddaughter, Indy. Did you think, I wonder what she's going to look like? Will she be ginger? Will she be like her mum? Will she be like her dad? What will she be like? Can you imagine, I'm really trying to get my head around this. If you're pregnant, right, men, I know this is a stretch for you, but just try, try. And you know that you're carrying the son of God. That kind of brings what will he look like to a whole new dimension, don't you think? You know, will he have wings? Will he, will he look like God, his father? And if he looks like God, what will he look like? I actually can't imagine 
what it must have been like anticipating the physical birth, thinking, wow, what is this child going to look like? You know, what colour will he be? That's an interesting question. What colour will he be? Will he look like other children? Will he look like God? Will he have his mother's eyes? What does God and man look like? You could go on for days, couldn't you? You must, she must have, you know, how could you forget that? And then it all, Jesus says, well, actually, if you remember all of that, it's starting to unfold. So why on earth would you be surprised? So just like Mary and Joseph, sometimes have we forgotten what God's promised us? Maybe forgotten what is spoken over us. Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She wrote it down. She stored it up. She mulled it over. She prayed through it, even though she didn't understand it at the time. She kept it at the center of her being. And there, when you focus on what God said, it takes root. The truth germinates. And in time, it produced fruit. So this story is a gentle reminder from God of previous promises that maybe should have been remembered, not forgotten, as they started to unfold years later. We don't always understand what God is doing or saying or the significance, but we need to hold on to what he says, store it up and journey on with it, staying close to him and continually searching and looking for more of him. In obedience, following him on the journey, even when we don't get it. Because actually, really knowing and finding Jesus is all there is of worth. The disciples said in the end, Lord, to who shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. We need to journey on pursuing Jesus, keeping him at the center, encountering his presence, and that renews our mind. It transforms us and takes us to a whole different level and order. He's faithful even when we don't see it. I've got a friend. I haven't got many, but one of my friends is going to come. Good old Mrs. Massey. Come on, let's give her a round of applause. Come on, our joy. That was a bit half-hearted, but that's probably all you deserve. <laughs> Um, just a, a, a quick word on an answer to prayer. The other Sunday, Sunday evening, we prayed for the street preachers who were going through the courts. Found out yesterday, actually, that they, have been, um, they haven't been convicted of the charges and they're off free, and we prayed for that here. Go on the, on the website, Christian Concern. So answer to prayer, fantastic. Just a brief insight into um, uh, a journey, a testimony, if you like, of uh, Andre and myself. Um, and if I just give you a context, anything I say now is absolutely nothing to do with the material stuff that I talk about. It's going to be about houses and stuff. The material stuff is irrelevant. It's the, it's the journey. And it's not about us. It's about him. Um, I'm holding here a red item. Can you see it? Rectangular. Six, nine inches that way inches down it's a brick can you see it red brick some people are smiling because some of you are thinking I know what that's about it's the year 2000 and 
at Junction 10, um, we were being challenged, the whole of the congregation, about buying bricks. And Andre and myself felt mega challenged about buying bricks. So hold that. The other thing is that Andre and myself were at a point in life where we realised that actually we didn't need a house with four bedrooms. Um, that fortunately, it's a long story, but we were able to build that house and we didn't need it. Um, and it was actually built by Pete Garner, who was the same guy who built the church on the land over at number 323 Wolverhampton Road. So two things were going on. Bricks for a building to build for the Lord. We had a house and we felt we should downsize. And we really felt challenged by God. So all of this is about heart and obedience. And it, it isn't us being great either, far from it. But we just sensed it so strongly. So we put our house on the market. We sold our house. And we went to live um, in an apartment up the road in Dudley. It was a beautiful place. And we stayed there for three nights. In fact, on the very first night, we both knew, independently of each other, and then we did have a conversation that this is the one, of, one of the biggest mistakes we've ever made in our life. How old are we and how wrong we've got it. Um, so we then moved on to a place called Penn Common in a touring caravan, small touring ca caravan, and lived there for four months going to work and doing all the stuff that you do. But, you know, during the journey, we always knew that moving on from the house that we sold was absolutely right. And, by the way, we did buy bricks towards the, the big fr brick front, and that was on an ongoing basis. You would pay the amount out on a monthly basis. And we blessed people that we decided we needed to give, give money out. That was, that was great. So we're going through this process, and we need to find somewhere to live because I, I wouldn't recommend living in a caravan. Um, small tour, uh, where do you get your shower? Andre used to moan about how can I get in the shower because it was minuscule, etc. And we were looking for a place. We looked for three places and we saw a bungalow in Womburn. Now, if you know the Wolverhampton area, it's a nice place to live, so why wouldn't you want to look there? We looked there and it was kind of, it was too expensive. We couldn't afford it, so that was the first thing that was wrong. The second thing was we needed to sell the apartment that we'd only lived in for three nights. Thirdly, we were short of a window of opportunity to buy the bungalow because a local builder had built it and somebody else was actually offering the builder more money for it. So from a very natural point of view, it's dream on. And that's basically what we thought, dream on. It ain't going to happen. But God's provision and God's answer was, and why, I don't know, because we were trying to go in one direction and he took us in the other, but he saw our heart. And he saw our obedience, and that's all it's really about, not about bricks and mortar. So the answer was, one, we got the mortgage for the bungalow, which was an absolute miracle because Tim told us we would never get it. It was too much money. We couldn't afford it. Secondly, our apartment was sold for cash. A local doctor turned up with the cash, said, I want it now. Thirdly, we met the October deadline on the actual same day that the builder had said, if you don't do it by now, you're not going to have it. We hit that same day, October the 30th. Fourthly, the builder refused the other guy, who's a retired building society manager, far posherer than me and Andre, refused him. This guy had offered him more money, and he refused him. He said, I want these people to have it. 
We'd, ne we'd never met the guy before in our lives. It was unbelievable. And months later, Barbara Rowley, myself and some others were praying in that bungalow that we were given. We're not quite given, but you know what I mean. On our journey, it was ordered for us by God. We were praying in our room, and a guy came to the door. I opened the door, and there's a guy standing there. I've never met him before. He's holding a card out, and he said to me, that's my name and address. I thought, oh, great, fine, okay, yeah. He said, I'm the guy who wanted to buy this bungalow from the builder. He wouldn't sell it to me. I offered him more money, and he wouldn't sell it to me. I'm telling you now, if you ever want to sell it, contact me. And it was like I came into the room, and I said to the guys, it's amazing. It was true. We'd heard it from one side. Now we'd heard it from the other. And I'm finishing now. Don't worry, Mary, I'm not preaching. But it is exciting because then a guy called Paul Chamberlain, who we've been friends with for years, pastor at, at Calvary Church, gave us a scripture. Isaiah 62 and verse 4. He's never given us scriptures before or since. He's just a mate. Um, and it was this. No longer will they call you deserted, or name your land desolate. We had been in a bit of a wilderness. But you will be called Hepzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will delight in you and your land will be married. So the name on the side of the bungalow is Beulah. Which basically means in the kind of language that I understand. This is a place that God's given you. Be married to it. And I've written at the bottom here. We'll be staying there. Because that place is under new ownership and God's ownership. We've been there 15 years now. But we'll only be staying there un until God says, move on. That's our journey in obedience to God. It's really exciting. Thank you. It's interesting, isn't it, that God told them to sell up, give money to him. And they ended up in a flat they hated and then in the caravan. You'd be thinking, flipping heck, Lord. What's going on here? You know, I obeyed you. I did what you said. I mean, I, Mark and I howled with laughter when we heard they'd lasted in a flat two nights. We thought that was just hysterically funny because we're empathetic people like that. <laughs> and then on a caravan, that was even funnier. Caravan on Penn Common. Having to go to places you don't want to go to to get your washing done. God has a sense of humour. I wouldn't have thought it was very funny. I'd have been going, God, what are you doing? I'm on this journey with you. I've been obedient. I've done what you've said. And it all seems a bit of a crashing disaster now. And yet, out of that, God provided an amazing place because he was faithful. And God sees our hearts, doesn't he? When we obey him, it doesn't always go great. There's nothing in the Bible that says obey me and you're going to have a sweet, lovely, by and by, you know, time. It's obey me and. Actually, it's obey me and anything can happen. That's what it's about. It's obeying God and then trusting him. We don't always feel great on a journey, do we? When we're knocked by circumstances of life... When stuff just doesn't quite make sense or we're confused, what do we do? We can bury our heads in the sand, we can run away, or we can have honest conversations with God. God, I'm not quite where I should be. 
I don't really understand what's going on. Just show me. Show me what's dulling me. Lord, I want to be obedient. I want to be restored and rebuilt and refocused and re-energized. Let the hope of Christ in us transform us. We can't work harder. But, you know, as we see him, we know him more because our hope comes from our identity. God doesn't command us to obey him. He invites us into relationship to know him and enjoy what he enjoys. Condemnation, shame, feeling of failure isn't the way. God loves us, he accepts us, and he moves us on. Because in his presence, things either make sense, or to be honest, other stuff just seems trivial, and it doesn't really matter. Because our perspective changes, our hearts and our minds are changed as we see something of him. And he recalibrates us, and his presence transforms then you start to feel sharper. Again, I had a picture of a uh, blind man's buff. Who's played blind man's buff? That great game where you shove a blindfold on somebody and then you just set off. I actually remember playing it when I was the, a very long time ago, the kids' worker at Junction 10. I remember playing it with a group of kids on a Sunday morning and we got a blindfold on and because it's, you know, it's boring, so I put obstacles all around the room so they were going to trip over loads of stuff and had people at the other end just shouting at them to help them and to direct them along the way. And that's kind of a bit like Blind Man's Buff. It's like, I felt like, you know, with this Blind Man's Buff, I'm blindfolded and having to navigate obstacles to get across the room. And it's pretty uncomfortable. And, you know, it's even more uncomfortable if you're used to being sighted, isn't it? I guess if you've always been in the dark you're more comfortable with moving around and navigating but once when you've been sighted and then you've lost your sight for whatever reason it's pretty difficult and there are loads of competing competing voices shouting at you and when you've got your blindfold on you have to tune in screen out screen screen out the other voices and just listen intently to the person who's calling you from the other side and I actually think I played it with Keanu who trusts Keanu telling them where to go when you're full of obstacles? That's all I can say, but I think he did all right. And you have to tune in to the voice of the person calling you and follow their directions to go towards you. And it, as individuals, and sometimes as a church, we might feel blindfolded and that maybe we've temporarily lost our sense of vision. But, you know, this is so that your sense of hearing can be heightened and you learn to tune into the voice. Because he guides and directs us around obstacles as we walk towards him. So if you're feeling like sometimes you're walking around with a blindfold on, whereas you used to be able to see, just recalibrate and tune in to the voice. And your hearing actually becomes accentuated. And you hear God's voice, you look up, and you go towards him. And as we journey with Jesus, we discover his presence. We hear his voice reassuring us, guiding us and bringing hope. Because he reminds us what he's promised and what he's called us to. Because we're defined by grace. We're not defined by other people. 
He gave us life. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We are one with Christ, saved by his favour. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We journey with God. He has lifted us up and sat us at his table, even when we don't see it or when things don't go according to plan. I just want to conclude with a story um, which I found in one of Max Licardo's books. And he says, over a hundred years ago, a group of fishermen were relaxing in the dining room of a Scottish seaside pub, trading stories. Well, you can imagine what fishermen are like. One of the men gestured wildly, depicting the size of the fish that got away. His arm struck the waitress's tea tray, sending the teapot flying into the whitewashed wall where its contents left an irregular brown blotch. The innkeeper looked at the damage and he sighed. This whole wall will now have to be repainted. Perhaps not, said a stranger. Let me work with it. Having absolutely nothing to lose, the innkeeper agreed. So the man pulled pencils and brushes, some jars of linseed oil and pigment out of an art box. He sketched lines around the stains, dabbed shades and colours throughout the splashes of tea. And in time, an image began to emerge. It was a stag with a great rack of antlers. The man inscribed his signature at the bottom, paid for his meal and left. His name was, and I haven't heard of him, Sir Edward Lancier, who turned out to be a famous painter of wildlife. But in his hands, this tea-stained blotch of a mess became a masterpiece. And God does the same time and time again. He draws together the sometimes disjointed blotches of our lives and he makes them an incredible expression of his love. We become pictures, examples of the wealth of his favour and kindness towards us. In conclusion, and if the worship team can come back up, please. The question is, how is our journey with God? Can we see at the moment? Do we have faith? Do we need to trust and listen for the bigger picture and the long game? Or maybe you're stuck in the moment, not sure what's going on. You're in your caravan on Penn Common, feeling that maybe you've temporarily lost Jesus or not able to see the next steps clearly. But God has placed us where we are in life's journeys, whether it's mundane, whether it's challenging, whether it's great at the moment. Wherever we are, God is calling us to pursue him as he pursues us. To trust in God's promises for our journey, to obey, to remember the promises that God's spoken over you and over your lives. You know, we need to have conversations with God. Shout, weep, question, worship, however you want to talk to him. But remember that we are his children safe in our identity, lifted high 
and sat at his table, even when we feel like we've got the blindfold on, or we're living in a caravan, or we think that we've lost, we're lost, because we journey by faith and by relationship and by pursuing God, even if we don't always see it or we're a bit confused about where we're going. We journey by faith, not by sight, because he is the one who calls us and pursues us. He's our guardian, isn't he? We're going to sing now, Your Eyes on the Sparrow. I just want us to, to stand and sing it. And it talks about, I will run to you, to your words of truth. So wherever we are on our own individual journeys, we know, don't we, that we need to run to God, to respond to him and to refocus and recalibrate our identity back on him. Thank you. Let's stand together.